Hello, and welcome to the Snoop Boops. I'm Bixby, the one who bought WinRAR. And I'm Dakota, the one kid who found a monitor for under $10 at a thrift store. So, let's start with game news, or game review. Well, actually, yeah, let's start with game news, because I have some news. So, and there's another FNAF security breach patch coming out, and according to the patch notes, they still haven't fixed ray tracing. Depressing. Please, hurry been, up and fix it. I run ray tracing at low settings, and it still lags under 40 FPS. Really just sounds like an optimization problem, because like, I I know my computer is not supposed to handle it, but when I tried playing it, it worked fine until it got to a certain part, and it crashed on 480p. Like, okay, my, if my computer can handle something like Doom at native resolution, then it should be able to handle security breach at 480p. Yeah, he's talking about Doom 2016, just so you guys know. But, uh, yeah, are you ready to move on to series review? Yes. Welcome to the thing we delayed twice. Yes, twice, because I couldn't beat the games in time the first two times. Me and Dakota decided to play through the entire Half-Life series and decide if it's still good 20 years later. Oh, here we go. Starting with Half-Life in 1998, it was built with a modified version of id Tech 2, the Quake engine. Valve titled it Gold Source. So, for starters, I haven't played many Valve games much in my life. The only times I think I have were the few times I played CSGO on my 360, TF2 a couple times, and I tried and failed at playing Portal 2 on my Xbox. So, this is a brand new game to me, even though it is 24 years old. Now, one thing to note is that I played Half-Life 1 partially on the Half-Life Restore mod and partially on the actual game, so I might be wrong when talking about Half-Life 1. Okay, let's start with gameplay. Half-Life was the first FPS game to have real storytelling. In fact, it was the first game with character skeletons that allowed NPCs to move their head and look at the player. I feel like one main mechanic of this game is difficulty. Now, I've been playing it on easy because I suck at video games. Like, seriously, even Halo, which I've been playing for 12 years, I still suck at it, but that's that's a different note. But for me, at least, the game has been pretty hard. Half-Life has. However, I do feel like the difficulty is a good thing and encourages you to look for ways to do things better. I'll, we'll talk about specific examples later, but just keep what I said in mind. Half-Life has a total of 14 weapons. I am not joking about this. You could use an insect as a weapon in this game. And another thing I like is how some things me feel like little details. For example, you could literally die by tadpole in this game if you aren't careful enough to load your much health. Yeah, health is really annoying to deal with, especially if you aren't that good at the game, because then you're always low on health. And health is sometimes in the least convenient spot, such as in Honor Rail, where there are a bunch of guys and a turret that you have to kill to get health. Also, early on in the game, good luck finding ammo. Good luck. Half-Life is a game about problem solving and strategy. The game will either reward you or punish you. Valve hid weapons in early parts of the game. You could find a weapon when Valve intended you to use it, or you could find it earlier, which makes the game so much easier at certain parts. 
I'm pretty sure Valve intended you to find grenades in Blast Pit. However, in Office Complex, you can find a stash of grenades in a room where a bull squid is hiding. Which makes it much, much easier to take out zombies when in groups. When I first loaded up the game, Bixby told me that it was a game about making choices. One of the first choices you can make, I don't know why I'm mentioning this, this is in the first 20 minutes of the game, is to kill a guard and get a gun early or to let the guard protect you. I chose to kill him because I like killing people. And if you make that, you can, and you can make that specific choice multiple times throughout the game because there's more than one guard. There's several throughout the game, so if you really wanted to, you could just kill everyone. However, you can be punished by killing certain NPCs. Some of them are needed to progress, triggering a game over if you kill them, or if an enemy kills them. There are a lot of things in this game that are only obvious after you google them. Like in Power Up, killing the Gargantua, the, the big guy, is pretty easy. Turn on the power, run into a hallway, and flip a switch, and basically fry him to death. But I didn't notice this until I googled it, which I feel like is part of the fun. Is, oh hey, this is how you progress! Oh wait, you don't see that! Oh, but it's in the walkthrough and it's how the game progresses. And one other thing, I played through, I, I'm just gonna skip, oh wait, hold on, no, 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 hold on. And since I played through part of this game on Half-Life Restored, when I got to the first part with the Vortigaunts in, I don't remember what the chapter was called, whatever. Wait, no, let me, let me just start that over again. And since I played through part of this game on Half-Life Restored, dude. Ah! Okay. And since I had to play through part of this game on Half-Life Restored, when I got to the first part with the Vortigaunts, it was very, very annoying because they revived each other. Switching to regular Half-Life though, they were fine. One enemy in this game that's specifically annoying is the head crab. When you have one health, no ammo, and just a crowbar. <laughs> yeah. They're like the Flood Infection forms from Halo, except infinitely more annoying because they don't die in one shot. Oh. Yeah, that's all in on Shut up. In Otter Rail, we have a part where we send a rocket into space to stop the Zen invasion. However, after we do this, the Zen creatures keep spawning, and it's never fully explained unless you pay close attention. During the beginning parts, the game spawns are random, however, after launching the rocket, the spawns become strategical. Launching the rocket cut off access for Zen to invade freely. Now the enemies are being spawned by the Nyland, which is Latin for not man. Half-Life is an amazing game, however, not everything about it is good. Let's talk about Zen. Zen felt rushed. The first map was confusing, however, after learning it, it took three minutes to complete. The gravity ha has changed, letting you jump higher, however, it just gets annoying. Especially because it's a physics controller and you can easily accidentally drop off the map. In fact, I told Dakota not to play Zen and switch to Black Mesa once they've made it to Zen, because they'd have a better experience with that. We have one more thing to talk about. The final boss, the Nyland. The boss starts with some disturbing music as the boss says our name, which is 
Gordon Freeman, the iconic Gordon Freeman with crowbar ubu. Our goal is to use bounce pads and get to his brain and shoot it. After a few shots, he goes boom and the Nihilus dies. Yay. One, however, there are a few moments where the Nihilus teleports us to parkour se sections or combat sections. One being with Big Boy Gargantuan. But that's all for boss battle. After beating the Nihilus, we are teleported to the G-Man, a character who has been watching us throughout the entire game if you paid attention to the backgrounds. Such as in the background of Power Up when you start the chapter, or in the very first, technically second chapter, he's in one of the rooms while you're supposed to be walking over to do the experiment that makes video game happen. Mm. He says the following to us. Gordon Freeman in the flesh. Or rather, in the hazard suit. I took the liberty of relieving you of your weapons. Most of them were government property. As for the suit, I think you've earned it. The border world, Zen, is in our control for the time being. Thanks to you, quite the nasty piece of work you managed over there. I am impressed. That's why I'm here, Mr. Freeman. I have recommended your services to my employers. And they have authorized me to offer you a job. They agree with me that you have limitless potential. You've proved yourself a decisive man, so I don't expect you'll have any trouble deciding what to do. If you're interested, just step into the portal and I will take that. As a yes. Otherwise, well, I can offer you a battle you have no chance of winning. Rather, an anti-climax after what you've just survived. Time to choose. We are then given one final choice. Accept G-Man's offer or deny it. Accepting us will give us the quote-unquote good ending. I say good because the aftermath is Half-Life 2, which we'll talk about in a bit. Denying it sends us to a room filled with aliens, our weapons and HEV suits stripped away from us. That's all for gameplay and story. Let's talk about the music. So honestly, I didn't pay much attention to the music outside of some at the end of Honor Rail, which I don't even remember. But I did listen to it a bit when Bixby sent me a YouTube video of the entire soundtrack. I'm not gonna lie, it scared me at first. Me too. I remember opening the album for the first time and I had my headphones on and it just blasted that. <laughs> it blasted the first song in my ears and it actually scared me. <laughs> I recommend you check out Liam Triforce's video about understanding the music of Half-Life. He talks about the music so much better than we could. I'd like to say one thing about it though. Kelly Bailey did so good with making the music. I 100% agree with you. It just sounds amazing. 
especially Kelly's decision to make most of the game silent without any music at all. I played the game with my volume turned down and sometimes muted, and I'll say it's kind of creepy playing a 90s FPS with no sound or music, or with sound or music that you can barely hear. That's all we have to say about Half-Life. We aren't going to talk about its expansions, as there isn't really much to say about them. I also don't own the expansions. Now let's talk about its sequel, Half-Life 2. Made on Valve's Source Engine, which is built off Ghost Gold Source, made Half-Life 2. The first game that shows physics in video games is yes. First impressions when I booted up the game, I already preferred the first one more. But Half-Life 2 is still excellent. It starts with the G menu. Remember the guy that was spying throughout the entire game, Half-Life 1? Well, the game starts with him talking to you. After that, you're in yet another ride. This time, the City 17. You go through security, you meet Barney, and I don't actually remember him being in Half-Life 1, even though he was mentioned right before you enter the office. I don't remember him being in the first one at all, but he was in the expansion, so I guess that counts. Anyways, after all that, you get your crowbar back, then your HEV suit, which is also the part when you learn that somebody thought it was a good idea to keep a head crab as a pet. After you charge your suit a little bit, it gets in the teleporter, but the headcrab jumps in at the last second and messes everything up. See, this is why you don't keep headcrabs as pets. <laughs> why did I add that in there? Because it's true. Mm -hmm. Oh! Apparently I fucked up. Apparently you get your crowbar afterwards. Oh. Is that- Haha, <laughs> don't Anyway, here's the actual canon, cause Dakota is dumb. We get our HEV suit and go into this teleporter that glitches out and teleports us outside the window. We then get our iconic crowbar a few moments AFTERWARDS! Thank you, Bixby, for actually remembering the intro of the game correctly. I promise I didn't completely forget this one, unlike with a certain other game later in the series. Anyways, after that, we have to help the resistance against the combine. So we do that, and I don't remember the rest of that chapter. The next chapter is Water Hazard, and it annoys me to death. So, for starters, you must be in the vehicle. I mean, you can technically do it all on foot, but that's something people who are good at video games do. That's not something I do. But there's radioactive stuff. There's a helicopter that drops a bunch of mines, and it's really bad for doing it on foot. We then get to Black Mesa East, where we get the gravity gun, possibly one of the most fun weapons in the game. Soon after, we are forced to go to Ravenholm, which is the chapter that tries to teach us how to use this weapon in combat. Ah yes, the chapter where I got lost. A lot. Overall, it's a great chapter though, and you get a shotgun in it, so that's nice. Still not as fun as the gravity gun, though. After that, it's time for Water Hazard Part 2, featuring parkour, known as the game as Highway 17. However, unlike Water Hazard, I actually enjoy this chapter. It starts with you driving on the beach. Then you drive until you hit a barrier, where you are forced to do a bunch of parkour to save wood. And also, you have to try not to fall off the bridge. After this, you have to fight more antlions before they join you. That's right, you get to fight alongside antlions. So you break into a prison and attempt to find Eli. You get around turrets and disable barriers, and also shoot down a couple gunships. Eventually, the antlions stop helping, and you meet up with Alice after you set up some turrets to not die. Find Moss and learn that she was a spy. 
she teleports away with Eli, so you and Alex jump in and get stuck in teleporting for a week. Yay! After that, you find more of the trees before you enter the Citadel, which is where the rest of the game takes place. There's a pretty cool part where you're riding in a pod on a line. After that, all your guns get taken away, but at least you get to keep your gravity gun. Except now, instead of just throwing things across the room, you can kill people with it? That's amazing. So that's what you do until you get to Brain's office. When you get there, he takes your gravity gun and puts you, Eli, and Alex in pods. Bossman releases you while Brain is trying to kill you with your gravity gun. Once you're free, he runs and you follow and he drops the gravity gun on the floor so you get that back, but he's also trying to open a portal, which wouldn't be good. So you blow up the reactor by shooting balls at it and the game ends. Well, one last cutscene with the G-Man, then the game ends. The gameplay, especially with the gravity gun, was, in my opinion, good. Even though I didn't like it as much when I first started it. But, hey, I have to play the game a lot more before I beat everything. So I'll let Bixby say whatever he wants to say and we'll move on to episode one. Yep. Half-Life 2 is a very important game for me. In fact, it was my first shooter. So it holds a very, very special place in my heart. With that said, let's move on to episode one. So, in 2006, Valve released an expansion to Half-Life 2, which is titled Half-Life 2 Episode 1. There isn't much to talk about on the gameplay, as it is literally copy and pasted from Half-Life 2. So, Dakota doesn't remember much about this game, so they might get some shit wrong, and I'm gonna- and instead of correcting them, I'm gonna make fun of them while editing. Amazing. The game starts exactly where you left off at the Citadel, but you don't actually get to play the game yet. The gameplay of the game starts on a mountain, where Dog throws a car and you meet up with the guy whose name I forgot, and then you have to cross back into the place that I don't remember the name of Citadel. I don't I don't remember the name of it. But you get all your guns taken away again, and also you get better gravity gun again and fight more. Yeah, more shooting in a first person shooter. You soon get to a train to escape, but that doesn't go right. Guess what? Combine zombies. They're like normal zombies, except they take more damage and are also suicidal. I'm gonna just stop Dakota right there. They're having trouble remembering parts of the game. We make our way up to the surface. Once we make it up, we see our good friend Kleiner. It, and he's on a blue screen. He's on one of those blue and combine screens talking to us. Anyway, we make our way through the ruined City 17, through both Combine and Antlions. Eventually, we get our trusty crowbar from Barney and go through a ruined hospital where we find a shit ton of zombies. Also, Barney hints at the fact that we are going to have sex with Alex, which sadly doesn't happen. I forgot that was in the game for a second, um, but continue. Once we make it out, we meet Barney and start escorting groups of four into a train while we fight the Combine. We then have to fight a big strider, blah blah blah, three-legged spooter shoots us. We die like 15 times, we get past the strider and we get the fuck out. Also, building goes boom. 15? Do you, do you instead mean... 9,645,983,000 Yeah, the striders are really annoying, but that's kind of why it works as a final boss for the game. And it doesn't really work so well as when it's not a final boss. Like in the original Half-Life 2, but it is the final boss here. And, well, yeah, it works well for that. After that, you get on train, leave, 
Bixby probably already mentioned all that, and I'm not even remembering you mentioning it, even though it's right above what I'm saying in the script. And yeah, game ends. Or expansion, whatever. Whatever it is. And at least it was only one Strider at the end, and not more than years the Earth has existed. Anyways, yeah, Bixby's right. Episode 2, episode 2, episode 2, episode 2, episode 2, episode 2. So, we're going to talk about episode 2. The gameplay is the same, except they made the flashlight actually good, and you have to drive a lot. So the game starts with you trying to get to White Forest. You enter a building, as you do 200 times in the game, go to the bottom, and get attacked by hunters. Well, there goes Alex, and that's where the game begins. You should have said that's where the game ends. <laughs> Bixby, why are you making my things better after I say them? You're not allowed to do that! <laughs> we are taken underground by some forts, and we get to fight more ant lions. We also find out poisonous ant lions exist, so yeah. Fuck you. After you do some more things, the Vortigons have finally helped Alex! Alex is a lift again. Or, I don't know if she even died in the first place, but whatever. She, she basically died until five seconds ago when that when she was whatever I'm trying to say. Point is Alex is existencing again and then you get into an elevator and go outside. You have to make an, another elevator work and here's the part where I died 500 times trying to figure out where to go because I accidentally jumped off. No, you don't go straight and jump off. You go to the left. Then there's this big ass parkour section. Where if we fall, we die. Fuck you, Gabe. You don't die if you fall. Yes, I you do. No, I did that and I walked right through it and I was fine. Yeah, well, you didn't have 16 health. We're trying to get a very epic car that we'll use to drive to the rebel base and defeat a big flying thing. Then we get to the most <laughs> annoying part of the game. You'd have to sneak in to a combine station, I guess. But if you're spotted, you get fucking obliterated. It's so annoying. But we get past it after 5,000 deaths, and we get to a, we then drive to a place with a big rocket. We're then tasked by some guy who doesn't like us for some reason, and we have to kill a bunch of striders. I don't like this part. I don't hate it, but it is far from the best part. I don't even know how many striders there are, but there are a lot. You also don't have rockets, so you have to kill them with magnet ball things. Because I don't actually remember what they were called in the game. Which you not only have to get to stick to the strider, you also have to shoot them to get them to explode. Also, did I mention that there's only so many places you can find these magnetic balls? I mean, you can have one on the back of your car, but that's one. There's like 295 striders. So, yeah. And those stations where you get the balls from can get destroyed. Finally, if you save in a place where you cannot kill them fast enough, you have to go back to an older save. I understand games need challenge, but why? After killing all the striders, we get to the helicopter that was supposed to take us somewhere place that I don't remember. However, we're ambushed by big slug things, which one of them grabs Eli and kills him. This was one of the most hated cliffhangers in gaming history. 
Why? Well, 20 years later, we still don't have Half-Life 3. The expansion came out in 2007, but whatever. I still despise this ending because you kill all those Striders, probably more than the amount of people on Earth, and then you see the one of the main primary characters of the game just getting torn apart. Nice ending, Valve. Nice job on that ending. Amazing. Ten, a lot, two billion out of ten ending. That was game news. Hopefully this podcast won't be five hours long. Let's move on to our next topic. Yeah, this was long, but we also just talked about an entire series. In today's podcast, we're reviewing Turning Red. Yes. What if Canadians have feelings? It's a movie that everyone's been talking about, and after seeing it, yeah, I understand why. I remember seeing the trailer in late 2021, and that's when people started talking about it, because, oh, furry, a few months later, we've both seen the movie. Together. So let's talk about it. We will start with a spoiler-free review of this movie, then we'll get into heavy spoilers. So, yeah, maybe skip part of this review if you don't want the movie spoiled for you. So yeah, Turning Red is a movie about a girl named Maymay who has recently turned 13. Introducing us to her friends, her smarts, and her school bully. Soon she has some sort of awakening that unleashes a panda within her, literally. According to creators, it's supposed to represent a period, and um, everyone's mad about that. As if that's not something that people just have. Yeah, it's just like, periods are not normal and you should not be teaching children about that. Oh yeah, if there's blood coming out of your pussy, that means you're dead. Yeah, yeah. The red panda is part of her family's history. And with today's society, the panda is considered a curse in the family. And May May wants to get rid of it. Also, her friends want to go to a concert with Maymay, but they have no money. So Maymay uses the panda to make money for the concert without her mom knowing. So I thought the movie was good. This might just be biased for me not having seen an animated movie in a while, but I genuinely enjoyed it and would watch it again if I ever had time to. I like how like there's multiple different meanings in this movie, and I generally think the team just did a good job. There are surprisingly a lot of sex jokes in this movie for a PG-rated film. And the ending made me burst out laughing because of how stupid it was. But I definitely recommend it, Ben, do watch it. It's so good. Agreed. Alright, so from now on, there will be spoilers, so just a warning for that. Anyways, it starts with our main character, Mei Mei, turning 13. It's literally how the movie starts, is on her 13th birthday. The intro of the movie just kind of shows a bit of her life in a short, two-minute long clip. So let's introduce ourselves to the characters. We already know Mei. She is the main character in the movie, so of course we know her. Ming is her mother, who is very creepy, and also a Karen. I'm not gonna lie, she is really creepy. She literally stalks her daughter at school. And Jin is May's much less insane dad. Of course, May, unlike us, actually has friends. 
names are Miriam, Abby, and Pryor. We're all important to the overall plot of the movie, and are kind of the reason why the movie happens. Those are the rest of May's family, who we'll introduce later. So they show that May is a straight-A student, ac acing all her tests and making her mommy proud. Later that day, they are going home and May May's friends start simping for a worker at a cashier, which to be honest looks like a fucking zombie. May disagrees with her friends about this guy being attractive in his home. However, she starts simping for the worker when she gets home, drawing some special photos while under her bed. Her mom, however, finds these photos, and even while May's trying to tell Ming it's all fake, she doesn't believe May and storms off to the store and screams at the worker, showing him the drawings absolutely humiliating May. After that, she wakes up the next morning, but as Pamba. Big fluffy red panda. For some reason, this embarrasses her, so she hides in the bathroom. But not before screaming at the top of her lungs so that her mom comes in. She hides in the shower, and once her mom tries to open the curtains, her husband calls her, and Maymay runs off into her room. Maymay now goes to school, trying to hide the panda inside of her. However, if she gets too excited, too sad, too mad, whatever, it'll poof out. However, she has an idea to use this panda to make enough money to go to a concert that her mom doesn't want her going to. So yeah, that happens, and also, she learns to semi-control it by thinking of her friends. I know, heartfelt children's movie moment. Ha ha, alright. The school bully, I think his name is Tyler, he blackmails Maymay into coming to the party as a panda. His birthday party, specifically. When she's about to leave, her grandma stops her in her room before she heads out of the window, telling her that the panda dangerous blah 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 we're teenagers um may may obeys her grandma sort of and goes to the party with a cardboard panda costume with a cardboard pant may may sort of obeys her grandma and goes to the party with a cardboard panda costume making the bully angie then she becomes panda to make 200 dollars because she wants to make her friends happy However, it ends with May May beating the shit out of Tyler, and I, I really enjoyed that part because, yeah, Tyler got the shit beat out of him. And, but then her moms get involved, and, um, yeah, she ground. She's grounded. Wait, no, that's not what happened. What? Her mom got involved, finding out that she was at the party, and took her, blaming her friends for it because she thinks her daughter is perfect. <laughs> Near the end of the movie, Maymay is about to do a ritual to delete the panda from existence. And I said Maybay, I really meant Maymay's family. However, Maymay stops the ritual and runs off to a concert that she saved up for without her mother's knowledge. Yeah. But I don't, I don't really care. The rest of the movie is her mom going crazy, causing likely thousands of dollars in property damage and May getting to keep her panda. Wait, we have to say this word, crap. Near the end of the movie, May May No, I said about... all that already. Oh I my god, that. okay. The rest of the movie is her mom going crazy, causing likely thousands of dollars in property damage and May gets, getting to keep her panda the end. Let's talk about how much TikTok fucking hates this movie. And it won't let anyone who does enjoy the movie enjoy it. Oh fucking boy, I hate TikTok. 
TikTok didn't like it. I mean, I knew Facebook didn't like it, but I didn't know TikTok didn't. If you go to a turning red fan edit or just someone enjoying or liking the movie, the comments are going to be filled with turning mid, turning bad, turning cringe. Um, just people, people, just people hitting on the movie, and not letting people who actually enjoyed the movie just vibe. I feel like people can have opinions, but let people enjoy things. I personally thought the movie was great, but if you didn't like it, that's fine. But again, let people enjoy things. Yeah. Next thing, Jellybean. Jellybean is a 16-year-old TikToker who makes content for children. And of course, people who aren't children found it cringe because they aren't children. So they started making tons of hate accounts, videos, etc. They also harassed her and her fan base. It wasn't just Jellybean either. A couple of content creators got caught up in this and even doxxed. That's right! Leaking people's addresses over cringe Minecraft content! So amazing, right? Who gives a shit if it's cringe? Half the things I do, or half the things I enjoy, are both probably considered cringe. And it's not like they were making fucking toilet bowl fruit punch or something actually weird and embarrassing. They were making Minecraft content. Who cares? Why talk about it? Oh, 16 year old makes content I don't like. Blah! Okay, and? Grow up. So, very recently, animation YouTuber Jane Animations made a video which is basically a coming out video. In this video, she talks about how she is Ace and Arrow, which is nice to see. It's nice to see LGBT content creators publicly sitting out saying, hey, I'm inserting identity here. But Twitter, unfortunately, is not full of normal people. You have to remember that. 85% of people on Twitter are just a bit weird. So instead of people focusing on her coming out and talking about how that's a good thing, they were instead busy complaining about a flag. A Twitter user tweeted, really hoping, really, fuck. A Twitter user tweeted, really, really hoping Jaden simply didn't know, because I just discovered her when she's in school with size. There's an image attached to that tweet, and it's from a frame where there's someone with a gay flag shirt. Another tweet from a different user read, Jane Animation supports toothpaste flag. No. And the really long dramatic spelling of no. Honestly, it's just a fucking flag. You don't know yourselves. What's the point of complaining? Every other week you find something wrong with the toothpaste flag. Like, please, it's just a flag. It's not like the Confederate flag where it's associated with slavery. And it's not like the Nazi flag where it's associated with the fucking Holocaust. It's a gay flag. It's like the lesbian flag, or the trans flag, or the bi flag, etc, etc. Please, go outside and touch grass. From what I've heard, from what I've been read or told, ugh, from what I've read, I'm told that the creator of the toothpaste flag was a bad person and said bi lesbians can't exist. Okay, but the flag had nothing to do with that, and also you kind of support a lot of people who did bad things still. But hey, Twitter is Twitter. They'll fucking complain about anything. So last Sunday, as I'm writing this, the Oscars happened. Which, if you don't know, is basically the Grammys, but for movies. And one thing happened that everyone seemed to have talked about and also overreacted to. A little thing between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Basically, Chris made a shitty joke about Will's life and, you know, wife. It's wife, I you idiot. Wife. 
So last Sunday, as I am writing this, the Oscars happened, which if you don't know, is basically the Grammys, but for movies. And the one thing that everyone seems to talk about that happened was a little thing between actors Will Smith and Chris Rock. Basically, Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's <laughs> wife going bald and having problems like that, and Will Smith just smacked, just smacked him, which I agree with 100%. He was making shitty jokes about someone's wife. You don't make jokes about people's family. It's easy to understand. And after that happened, everyone was talking about how Will Smith should get arrested. You know, if, if Will Smith should get arrested and charged, then, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse should at least be in prison. But whatever. This shouldn't be political. This is the Oscars, not something that actually matters in the world. Yeah, and either way, I agree that Will Smith shouldn't have slapped him as it's considered assault still. I mean, but yeah. Chris how- decided not to charge him anyway. Yeah, because there's really no point in charging. Like, police aren't going to start huddling up the place waiting for someone to be slapped. It's only if the person who was slapped or assaulted, whatever, decides to press charges after calling the police. Like, someone else can't press the charges. Yeah. Also, um, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Anyway, asshole of the month. And before we get to this one, I'm going to warn you, this is going to get political. So if you have right-leaning ideologies, just know you might be upset by this segment. This month's asshole of the month is Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida. So basically, we're nominating Florida Man. But why? Well, we could talk about the COVID stuff, but that was two years ago and not really relevant anymore. No, we're going to talk about Don't Say Gay, the bill that he signed literally the day I was writing this. This is fucked up. Essentially, it stops student. It stops schools from talking to their students about LGBT. Now, on paper, this sounds like a good thing. Who wants their kids learning about sex? But LGBT isn't really about sex. Yes, most of the letters are sexualities, but I feel like knowing that some guys are into guys and some girls are into girls, some people aren't into anything, anyone at all. You know all that other stuff. I feel like that doesn't really count as sexual. Unless knowing that guys, some guys are into girls, also counts as sexual. Either yeah. they're both sexual or neither are sexual. If you can't talk about gay relationships, you should not talk about straight relationships either. That's how it should work. The wording in this bill is also vague as fuck. The usage of the word third party and instruction, what does that mean? Does it mean we're talking about OGPT at all? If so, are we... If so, are trans kids not allowed to come out to their classmates? And what about third parties? Is that people who enter schools, parents, kids? The point is, the wording is vague, and it could harm LGBT youth and pre- by preventing them to be open about their sexuality or gender identity. Thank God we aren't in Florida. Yeah, I am suffering in Texas. And I'm suffering a little less in the state that has Josh Hawley. Anyway, that's it for this month's episode. I know it was a little late, but yeah, fuck you, April Fool's. Bye. I'm stopping the recording. Bye, 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 bye. Um, how do I close this? I'm close.